0: We're gonna take a look at a guy who is very famous in the scripture for, for one of the phrases that Jesus said to him, very famous passage in John three sixteen. His name is Nicodemus. The title of my message is What Nicodemus Now Knows. What Nicodemus Now Knows. John 3, that's where we're going. Okay, now, how many of you like to get the truth delivered quickly? Yes. Bad news or good news? Anybody, just give it to me straight. Anybody like that? How many of you like it to be kind of like progressive? I don't don't know if I'm ready for the the hammer to drop. Anybody like that? Well, I heard this story about this lady that went away on vacation, left her husband at home to watch her cat. She called him on day three and uh, she said, how's the cat? He said, dead. She said, honey, why did you do that to me? He goes, what do you mean? She said, you could have broken it to me a little bit softer. He goes, well, how do you mean? She goes, on day one, I could have called you, and you could have said, well, he's up on the roof. And then day two, how's my cat? And you could have said, well, he's a little sluggish. And then day three, he's a little sick. And then day four, he's dead. You could have done it like that, progressively. You didn't have to to say it so bluntly like that. He goes, honey, I'm so sorry. I'll never let that happen again. Lesson learned. She says, okay, thank you. How's my mom doing, by the way? He said, she's on the roof. (laughs) I like that story. This story does have something to do with where we're going today. In John chapter 3, what Nicodemus now knows. Stand with me for the reading of God's word, chapter 3 of John. Reading from verse 1 right through to verse 16. Now there was a man. Somebody say, a man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man, somebody say, this man. So a man moves now to this man. Came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit. Somebody say, water and spirit. Unless unless one is born in water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, "Are, are you a teacher of Israel? Are you, not a, are you the? Teacher. Somebody say, the teacher. teacher. Just remember that. He says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he what? We should know this one. He gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we say time out on life time out on our schedules, time out on our day for you to speak to us. We thank you for the privilege to be able to come into this house and worship you and hear you and receive in our hearts the word that never returns void, that always accomplishes the purposes for which you sent it. May our eyes be open, may our ears be open, and may our hearts be receptive to hear your voice and see Jesus. In his name we pray and everybody said, Amen, God bless you, have a seat. You belong here, part four, what Nicodemus now knows. Jesus loved conversations. He is a conversational guy. John, John's gospel in particular deals with several one-on-one conversations that Jesus has with different kinds of people. Whether they be George Vicente's or Nicodemus's, and then in the next chapter in John chapter four, he has a conversation with a woman who was five times divorced and living with, in fornication, another man. And Jesus has a conversation. What I love about God, what I love about the scriptures and how they reveal our God is he wants to talk with us, not just at us. You ever have anybody to talk at you and not with you? And what I love about how John reveals The glory of Jesus, the the point of his gospel is that you might know who Jesus is and what he did so that you might believe that he's the Christ and the son of God and that you might have life in his name and you have to know that this God, this Jesus is a conversation kind of God. He wants to talk with you, not at you. And he starts where you are. Nicodemus, who is he? Verse one, now there was a man. If you've got your notes out, underline the words a man. Because the first thing that we know from John's Gospel is that Nicodemus was a man. But then he gives us some more qualifiers. He was from the Pharisees. And he was a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus. The word Nicodemus comes from two Greek words, Nike, Nike, which means victory. Okay, we have a sneaker brand named for that, right? Demas, which we get the word democracy from, rule of the people. So Nicodemus means victory over the people. If Nicodemus was in church today, he'd be wearing Nikes and be a Democrat. That's who he is, okay? (laughs) Victory over the people. And this is Nicodemus, that's his name. Who is he? He's a man, but he's a Pharisee. Pharisees, there were 6,000 Pharisees in Jesus' day. They lived mostly around Jerusalem. They were absolutely 1,000% devoted to following the law. They were the religious people of the religious people. They were the devout Catholics and fundamental Baptists and hardy Presbyterians and, and uh, biblically minded evangelicals, all wrapped into one. They, 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 made, they made Catholics look like not amateurs when it came to religious practice. They dotted their eyes and crossed every T. In fact, they not only followed the Ten Commandments, they also lived according to the 613 laws of the first five books of the Bible. The first five books, we call those the Torah, they call them the Torah, it means the law. These are the books of Moses, the books of the law, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers and Deuteronomy. Pharisees to be a Pharisee it required that you had those five books memorized memorized. Anybody think they could do that? Like take away Netflix and give it a chance. you'll probably do it. but you know, they, this is what they did. They, they believed that this was the word of God, so they internalized and memorized it. They had to study it all, that, all the time. And so they followed the laws, and, and then they followed not just the laws, but they followed their commentary on the law, the, the Mishnah, which was a commentary on how to obey the law, because some of the laws, you need a little bit more instruction on how to obey it. Some of them were cut and dry, very simple, like, do not steal. Like, that one's cut and dry. What does that mean? Don't take other people's stuff. Right, that's simple. Do not commit adultery, that's pretty simple. Like nobody commits adultery by mistake. Nobody's like, what, you're not my wife. (laughs) Nobody's like that. That didn't happen, right? So, So that was cut and dry clear, but there was that fourth commandment, that pesky fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath. That one needed clarity, because what does it mean to not work? What does it mean to work? And so they had all kinds of laws, laws on top of laws, tradition on top of tradition, for how to obey that one. And they had some crazy stipulations. Like, one of the stipulations was on the Sabbath, you could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit in the dirt. Because if you spit in the dirt, you could possibly make mortar, and mortar is how you make bricks, and bricks are how you make walls, and so you would be unintentionally working on the Sabbath if you spit in the dirt. Crazy stuff, right? You could walk on the Sabbath two-thirds of a mile, but you couldn't walk any further than that. Pity the fool that walked two thirds of a mile away from his house, couldn't walk back. <laughs> Poor guy. They had, they had stipulations about what you could eat and, and, and the produce of your land. You couldn't climb a tree on the Sabbath because you might break a branch and that could be interpreted as harvesting fruit, which is work, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. The craziest one was you could eat an egg laid by one of your chickens on the Sabbath, so long as you killed the chicken for breaking the Sabbath. (laughs) How many know religion makes you ridiculous? That's who Nicodemus is, Pharisee. Ruler of the Jews, end of verse one. Ruler of the Jews means that he was part of the Sanhedrin. Somebody say Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Supreme Court of Israel. That's what it was. These were elected officials from amongst the people. They were devout, they were, they were intellectual, they were knowledgeable, they knew the law backwards. and Like I said, they memorized it. Nicodemus was in the select group of 71 Jewish men who literally ruled over the entire nation according to the law. And, and then there's one third thing I want to tell you about Nicodemus that we pick up from chapter three of John, which is that Jesus, in verse 10, if you've got your Bibles open, you'll see it there, Jesus says, aren't you the teacher of Israel, not not a teacher, not one of many, no, the. Which means that Nicodemus was not just an intellectual superior, he was the dean of academics at the University of Jerusalem in the first century. (laughs) What I'm trying to tell you is, you don't get any more religious, and you don't get any more devout, and you don't get any more serious about being a good person than Nicodemus. And yet verse two says that this man, Nicodemus, a man, this man, came to Jesus by night. Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? Anybody wanna guess? Because he was afraid. He was afraid that his little religious insider group would see him associating with this obscure Nazarene carpenter turned rabbi. You have to understand in the geography of Israel, Jerusalem where Nicodemus lived was in the south, and Nazareth where Jesus was from was way up in the north. We're not talking about like this is the Bible Belt, Jerusalem is like the Bible, Dallas, Texas, or I don't, I don't know, Tennessee, or Atlanta, Georgia. He's He's not from Boston, he's from like Bangor, Maine, that's where Jesus is from. Like that's the relationship, right? So so this obscure guy who's doing these signs and wonders, Nicodemus comes to him by night and his name is Nicodemus and it makes it very convenient to call every sermon ever preached on John three, Nick at night. (laughs) Stupid preacher jokes, (laughs) thanks to Nickelodeon. (laughs) But that's, you know, he's coming to Jesus tonight because he wants to hide, and, and I love the fact that scripture just says, wait a second, he's just a man. He's just a man. Here's what that means: you know what? Strip away all the things that you think you are. Strip away your titles and your academics and your degrees and your and your knowledge and all the things that all the people and all the groups and all the social clubs that you belong to. And when you stand before God, you're just a man or a woman. Right? That's what John is saying here. And you have to know that when you read the Bible, you can't worry about chapter divisions. You know chapter divisions in the Bible were not a part of the original text of the Bible. So, so this was, from, one, from chapter two, read right to chapter three, because let's just back up in chapter two, verse 23. This is how John left off that chapter. He says, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast and many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was, last two words everybody, what? In man. Jesus knew what was in man. Don't stop reading, read right into chapter three. Now there was Amen. So when John is talking about the fact that Jesus knew what was in man, exhibit A is Nicodemus a devout religious intellectually superior revered leader of Israel and before Jesus he's just a man and and more importantly he just he comes to this obscure rabbi from Nazareth like with all of his clothing and all of it you know they wore funny hats and they had The scripture talks about phylacteries. Phylacteries, which are still a thing in Israel to this day, they're little black boxes that they would strap to their foreheads and to their forearms, and they would put little Torah scrolls, little parchments of scripture, wrap them up and put them in there because the scripture says in Deuteronomy that you shall, wrap, that you shall write them on your hands and on your foreheads. <laughs> they literally take it literally that you gotta put the word of God. That would be like a modern day Christian, you know, sewing the Bible to his forehead and walking around and said, well, the Bible told me to do this. Like, this religious leader comes to this obscure Nazarene carpenter. And do you know why? Do you know why? Because apart from all of his religion and all of his accolades and all of his glory, in the eyes of man, here's what Nicodemus knew. Write this down. This is point number one. What Nicodemus knew is that you can be religious and not right with God. Put the, write that down. Can we get that on the screen? A little bit delayed back there. You can be religious and not right with God. That's what Nicodemus knew. Let me put it this way in America. You can be a good person and not right with God. America's favorite religion is not Christianity. It's, I'm a good person. Because every time you ask somebody, are you going to heaven? Sure, why? I'm a good person. Well, based on what? Whose standard are you going with? Well, I'm not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. Really? We're going to, you only go to hell if you eat your neighbors? That's where we're going? Everybody that doesn't eat people is going to heaven? See, this is the game that we play with ourselves because we do this as Americans all the time. I'm a good person. Well, how do you know? I feel it in my heart. Your heart is sick. You have a sick heart. Your heart lies to you on a regular basis. The the person who lies to you the most is you. You're always lying. You're always deceiving. Even your own thoughts don't aren't true. Your feelings aren't real. They're momentary synapses in the brain brought upon you by the experiences of the moment. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9: The heart is deceitful above all else, the heart lies. Jesus said about the human heart, he said, out of the the heart of man comes evil thoughts, murders, fornication, lies, adultery. Listen, it's not the R-rated movies that make you defiled, it's what's already in here that make you know you're not what you should be. This is what Nicodemus realized you could be a good person, you could be a religious person, you could be a devout Catholic, a fundamental Baptist, a hearty Presbyterian, and still not be right with God. That's why he comes to Jesus at night. Something's missing, something's not right, and he knows it. And this Jesus knows something and has something he doesn't have. So what does Jesus do in verse three? Drop the hammer. Cat's dead. Okay, here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again. Man, no two words in the English language have more cultural baggage than those two. I used to work in secular work, I used to work at a bank, and I. I've been born again my whole life, basically, you know, since I was a kid, but that term born again, because of the 80s, got a lot of, you know, baggage associated with it. One of those born again believers, oh, those crazy people. And I remember I was working with a bunch of people who were Catholics and devout Catholics. And when the conversation led to the fact that, that I was born again, they started laughing and mocking me. Oh, what are you, you're one of those born again people. I said, I said, okay, just let me just tell you that the Jesus that your church talks about said that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'll never forget, one of the ladies said to me, shot right back, she said, well, I guess I'm not gonna see the kingdom of God then. Mind you, this was a devout Catholic. Religion can make you ridiculous. It can blind your eyes to your need for God. So Jesus says, you can't do it. You can't, you can't see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. All of your religious upbringing and and all of your training and all of your schooling are nothing before the eyes of God. So Nicodemus has got questions, verse four. How can a man be born again when he's old? He can't enter into his mother's womb again, Jesus. Don't be ridiculous. Wouldn't it have been funny if Jesus was like, no, duh. That's not what I'm saying, Nicodemus. And the answer from Jesus is truly, truly. Whenever Jesus says truly, truly, it's like, pay attention. This is serious. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, make sure you just note that. We're going to get back to that. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Let me put it this way. Evil gives birth to evil. Bad people give birth to bad people. How many of you parents, every once in a while, you'll see your worst trait come out of your child? Doesn't it make your blood boil? You're like, what? Yet, how did you become? And in denial, you won't admit that they're you. There's a great commercial in the 1980s where the kid was caught by his dad smoking pot, remember this? And the father breaks into the room and says, who taught you to do this? Where did you learn to do this stuff? What does the kid say? I learned it by watching you. That's like, time to burn the bongs. I gotta get out of this thing, right? Like, flesh gives birth to flesh. Some of you blame your parents for your bad habits, you know why? Because flesh gives birth to flesh. Some of you are parents and you're tired of your kids blaming you for all their problems. The good news is, is that God has a wonderful sense of humor and he will give your kids that blame you for their bad habits, their kids of their own that will blame them for their bad habits. (laughs) So, the future's bright. (laughs) Flesh gives birth to flesh but that which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. So eight times in 10 verses, Jesus says the word born. It's an important point. It's an important point because this is one of the things that John opens his gospel with. In John chapter one, he says in verse 12, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God, who were what? Born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born, of god okay this is going to be really good okay let me ask you a question this is a simple one if you've been to fifth grade you can answer this question what did you do to be born the first time oh good nothing this was the most confident crowd of all three services And you all weren't even that confident, to be honest with you. All all three servants would be like, what, huh? Nothing. Your parents did something. They decided to throw on some romantic music and candles and dinner and then you. Okay, so the point is you had nothing to do with your first birth. And this this is the word that Jesus chooses to talk about how we get right with God. So if you had nothing to do, if you brought nothing to the table to be born the first time, what do you do to be born the second time? Nothing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus is challenging Nicodemus at the core of who he is because at the core of who he is, he's a religious guy who does all... Who does all kinds of religious things that make him think he's right with God? And Jesus shows up and says, None of that counts. You are not someone who achieves salvation. You are someone for whom God loves and gave his life for so that you might be born again. And the only thing you bring to the table is your sin. That's it. That's what I brought to the table when I got saved. Because that's all I had. And God brought his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, and made me a brand new person. You're not looking at somebody who achieved, you're looking at somebody who God loved. That's what Christianity is really all about. See, it's the men and the traditions and the churchianity that clouds it all up with all kinds of layers of gunk that turn people off and say, I don't want a part of that. That's not what I want. I don't like that. all those rules. It's not that. It's, it's, it's something happened in us that wasn't what we did. It was what God did for us. And I'm born not of flesh alone, but I'm born of the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what I want you to write down. Number two, what Nicodemus needed to know was, what Nicodemus needed to know was, salvation is something that happens to you, not from you. You don't, ach- you don't achieve it. Like, A lot of Christians, and I get it, you say, well, I got saved in 1982. You got nothing. Change the phrase. Say, the Lord saved me in 1982. You say, this is semantics. No, it's not. No, it's theology. It's imperative that you make God the subject of your salvation story and not yourself because if you got saved, you could possibly then get unsaved. Are you hearing this? But God saves. God, subject, saves, verb, you, direct object. That, so this is important because it's not my story, it's his story. It's not you-story, it's not me-story. Me-story is a mystery. I don't know why I act the way I act. I don't know why I did the things in the past that I did. I can blame my parents for some of it, but most of it's my own stupid fault. It's not my story or story. it's history for my story, so that my story can glorify his story. Are you hearing, because this is really good preaching, man, and I'm telling you, you gotta wake up a little bit this morning. It's not I got saved, it's the Lord saved, Me, if you're finally starting to realize that you had nothing to do with your salvation, just give the Lord a good amen. Amen. This is what Nicodemus needed to know. Verse seven. And I think Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and Nicodemus is like, because look at verse seven, what does Jesus say? Do not marvel. (laughs) I can see you're confused, don't do that. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. Verse eight, the wind blows where it wants, where it wishes. If you've gotten your notes out, underline where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's gonna go, you don't know those things. Some of you, that's your story. You don't, you don't even know the exact date that you got saved. Like, I get, there I go, I used the word, the Lord saved you. You don't even know the day the Lord saved you. It's just suddenly, I was talking to somebody between services, I think last night after service and, And he said, Pastor, you'll never believe where I got. saved. I got saved while I was standing in a church. They didn't even preach yet. They were just singing about Jesus and the Lord saved me. I know that we do the hand raised moment because we want to guide you in a prayer to confess Christ, but sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a reaction to that fact that it already happened. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it, you see the effects of the wind, yeah? You see the effects of the wind. It's like C.S. Lewis said, I don't believe in God because I see him. I believe in God like I believe in the sun, not because I can see it, but because I can see everything because of it. God is the cause, the effects of the evidence. And the one thing about us we know is that we can't control the wind. We can't control the wind. We can't control the weather, amen, New Englanders? Can't control the weather. Really wish we could, concerning this last weekend that we've had, I've watched Back to the Future Part Two. When Marty McFly went to the future, he went to 2015. Remember that? That's how old that movie is. Went to the future that was seven years ago, eight years ago. And when he got there, they were controlling the weather. That's what Back to the Future Two told us, that by 2015, we'd be able to control the weather. Instead, we got iPhones and Instagram. I'd rather have weather control. Anybody with me on that? Anyway, can't control it. This is the point that Jesus is making because salvation is not your doing, it's God's doing. Write this down so I know you're getting it. Religion is man-centered, salvation is God-centered. I got saved as you-centered, the Lord saved me as God-centered. That's my testimony, the Lord saved me. Religion is what you do, salvation is what God does. And no, they don't work together. They don't work together. Another Pharisee who did not want to be a Christian, his name was Saul of Tarsus, Pharisee of Pharisees, he called himself, a religious devotee, just like Nicodemus, the Lord showed up, saved him, changed him, transformed him, would write years later these famous words, for we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing, not of works, so that no man can boast. It is the gift of God, not of work. There no there's no boasting. There's no boasting in heaven, which means religion. You know why people are, are prone to religion? Because they like to boast. I go to church, I give my money. I dress for the occasion. Look at me, look at them all. And they're gonna put, put, put stuff on their social media talking about their church, like their faith, their religious practice, like what the heck? Jesus said, don't do that to be seen by men. Because when you do that, you're trying to boast of yourself. That's what religion leads to boasting and arrogance. Salvation leads to gratitude and humility. And, the, and this is how it should work. The longer you're saved, the more you're grateful that you're saved. Because the longer you're saved, the, the more you realize just how much God needed to save. Are you hearing this? I, that's how it is for me, like, we, we want God just to fix the outside of us. Like, fix these things that I do on the outside because I don't like them. And people around me don't like them. But God isn't just interested in fixing the outside. He wants to fix the motivation inside that produces the outside. And guess what? He wants to go deeper than that. He wants to, he wants to fix the things underneath the motivation inside that produces the things we do on the outside. And Christianity... And, and walking with Christ is a lifelong exploration of how much God needed to change about you. Cause I don't know if I'm talking to anybody who knows, there's, some, there's still some stuff that's inside and I'm like, why is that there? And then the longer you say, the more that happens for you that God saves you. Religion is man-centered, salvation is God-centered. Hey, religion leads to anxiety. Salvation leads to peace. Religion leads to anxiety, how? Because if you're doing the I'm a good person thing, if you're doing that game, I got, I got a great question for you. How good is good enough? I'm a good person, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. How good is good enough? Do you, are you sure you did enough to get to heaven, are you sure? Maybe you did some things to undo the stuff that you already did, so maybe you need to redo that stuff and stop doing the other stuff that undid the stuff that you did before. (laughs) Anxiety, are you hearing it? Anxiety, anxiety, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. That's because you've put your faith in you and not in God. This is what Nicodemus needed to know. Number three, what Nicodemus should have known. This is a long point. Long phrase, so just, we'll leave it up there for a while. Only God can make life come from death, light come from darkness, and order come from chaos. Only God can do that. God is the one who brings this stuff about. Right? Nicodemus should have known this. Because what did Jesus say? You are the teacher of Israel. you, you you study this book, not the, Old, not the New Testament, the, I understand, the Old Testament, but you study this, it's your life, it's your occupation, it's everything, and you still don't get it? You still don't get that God is the source of everything? You gotta be born through the Spirit and through the water. And so here's what Nicodemus asks in verse nine. He says, how can these things be? Verse nine, verse 10, Jesus says, you are the teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. What things, let's go back to verse five. It says this, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That's verse five, okay? Verse five, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water, Spirit, somebody say water. Somebody say Spirit. Those two things go together all over the Bible. And the reason why Jesus is incredulous that Nicodemus doesn't get it is because Nicodemus, if he studied the Bible, he would have seen it. That God's spirit and God's water, work on water always produce life. Let's take a look. Let's do an Old Testament tour of these two phrases going together. Go all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 36 when Israel has been abandoned by God. They've, she, they've been exiled into Babylon and they, are, look, they look hopeless and helpless and, and, and God sends Ezekiel, this prophet, this Old Testament prophet, to give them a good, good news. Give them good news. And here's what he says, Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean, what? Water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put in me, within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What is going on? God is saying, I am going to change you from the inside out. I will, I will, I will, I will wash you with my water and I will fill you with my spirit. That's salvation, when God washes you of sin sin and puts his spirit inside, so that you don't obey him because you're following the religious crowd, but because your heart has been changed by his Holy Spirit. See, a lot of people talk about, in America, that Christianity is on the decline. That's not true, that's not true. Do you know what's on the decline? Fake Christianity is on the decline. People who just followed the religious crowd because being a Christian gained you some points in the community that was the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen, those days are over. And everybody who was just following the crowd through religious practices to be accepted by other people who were following the religious practices, those people have suddenly woken up to the fact that being Christian is no longer cool, and so they've jettisoned Christianity because they were only doing it for the sake of other people's approval. But God is still working in people's hearts from north to south, from east to west, from LA to Boston and Chicago to Dallas. People are still coming to the Lord Jesus Christ as God changes the hearts and not just the habits. It's the Spirit changing your heart and washing you with His water. Let's back up a little further in the Bible to Exodus, when the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt and God has saved them out of their slavery and they're walking into the Promised Land and and they hit a roadblock and and they come up on the Red Sea. This is a very famous story, and we we miss a little detail of the story. And they can't go any further and they look behind them and there's Pharaoh's army, and Pharaoh's army is charging, coming to kill them, wipe them out, because he's got a bit of a case of FOMO. He's missing out now on having his slave labor. So he's coming to get them back, and they, and they cry out to God, did you, did you just bring us out into the desert to let us die? And, and God's like, I don't know what to do. And, 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 the fo- and, and I'm sorry, Moses is like, I don't know what to do. And God is like, stop whining. God says to Moses, take your staff and raise it up. Exodus chapter 14, look what happens. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong wind. The word in Hebrew is ruach, which means spirit. It wasn't a natural wind, it was a supernatural wind. And all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and Israel functionally gets baptized. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says Israel gets functionally baptized in the water and in the sea and they come out of that sea, a new nation, and Pharaoh goes into the water, and the water closes upon him, and he's dead, and God destroys their enemies through the water, through the work of his spirit, and gives birth to a new nation through the work of his spirit upon the waters. That's why you get baptized. That's why you get baptized, because you're saying publicly and visibly that this is what happened to me. God brought me out of my slavery to sin and changed my heart and made a new man and a new, or a new woman inside. Let's go back even further to the Bible, Genesis chapter eight, and poor Noah is floating on the waters. We like to focus on the fact that Noah was faithful and he built the ark and it was a powerful story and he brought the two by two animals and the seven clean animals, you know, seven of each clean animal, it's a really cool story, cute story, we put it on our nurseries for our kids, which is really weird. Anybody paint the nursery in the Noah's ark theme? We did this for our first child. I remember I walked into it, I'm like, why did we do this? This is when God killed everybody, why did we do this for the decorations <laughs> of my child? Anyway, um, so Noah is on the ark floating and the water, the, the rain has stopped, but the, the whole planet's covered in water. It's like a Christopher Nolan film, sitting on the water with all these animals and you have to think what, what went through Noah's mind in that moment, he, he, he must have been like, uh, what now? Everybody's dead except my kids and my daughter-in-laws and my wife and these animals. And he doesn't know, but verse one of Genesis eight says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind, Ruah. blow over the earth and what? The waters subsided. God's work of the wind of the spirit on the waters brought new life. Noah. We can go even further back in the Bible. Let's go to the first page, the easiest chapter to find. Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, chaotic and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. (sighs) God brings life out of death. God brings light out of darkness. God brings order out of chaos. Why is that important? Because apart from God, your life is chaos, you're walking in darkness, and you're destined for death. But when God speaks, light comes, and life comes, and then order comes into our body and into our life. What is God doing in your life? He is bringing the order out of chaos. The mess that you made, he's gonna take it and turn it into a testimony. He's gonna take it and and make your history a, a glorious story of his glory. That's the business of God. And the scripture says in Genesis 1:9 that God separated the waters and He put dry and let dry land appear. And scripture says that He squeezed together some dust in the earth and blew into the nostrils of Adam and made a living being out of the dust of the earth. And that is a picture, friends, of how God makes us. He takes us from the dirt. He takes us from the mess. He takes us from the, the mud and muck of life. And He puts us in His hand, and He breathes into us His Spirit, and we become born again the work of God. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 23, he says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This is where the story ends with Nicodemus. This is the last part of the conversation. Jesus kind of, like just kind of preaches for a, few more chap- for a few more verses in John chapter three. We don't hear another word from Nicodemus in John chapter three. So, so the question is this. What happened to him? What happened to him? Well, fast forward two years, John chapter seven. Jesus is back in Jerusalem for the Passover feast again. He's preaching and teaching, and the Pharisees are, they've had it, so they send soldiers to go and arrest him. This is two years into his ministry. He's got one year left, it's not God's time. And the scripture says in John chapter seven that the officers, verse 45, the officers came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, why why did you not bring him in? where is he? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. I would get a kick out of that. Like they came with the chains and the handcuffs up to Jesus. They're like, they're going to arrest him. And Jesus is teaching. And they're like, whoa. And they dropped their chains and handcuffs because the word of God changes our hearts. The Pharisees are not pleased. They say, have you already, have you also been deceived? And, and, and he says, look, Have any, the Pharisees, have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him, but this crowd that does not do the law, they're, they're cursed, they're, they're dummies, they're idiots. They, they follow him because they're stupid. Very next verse, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and hearing what he does and learning what he does? You know what Nicodemus is doing right here? He's starting to step out into the light. He's stepping out of the night and into the light. And they vilify him, don't they? Verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Galilee was a slur. Like I said, backwoods up northern Bangor, Maine. That was a slur. Are you from there too? Are you backwoods, Nicodemus? Are you crazy? Are you one of them? Search and see, there's no prophet from Galilee. You know you're, you know you're starting to come to Jesus when the people who used to love you start to mock you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Fast forward one more year. John chapter 19, Jesus has been put on the cross and has died. He has breathed his last. His body is dead. John chapter 19 says, after these things, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Look at this next verse. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. 75 pounds is an enormous expense. It was actually the exact weight of spices that they used to bury kings with. What is Nicodemus doing? He's stepping out of the night and into the light. That's where the Bible ends with regards to Nicodemus, but good news. We have church history and tradition that tells us a little bit more about what happened to Nicodemus. You know what happened to Nicodemus? The Lord saved him. He identified with Jesus, and he got baptized. Guess who baptized him? John. John and Peter baptized Nicodemus. He followed Christ, he worshiped Christ, he glorified Christ, and he lost everything they stripped him of his titles they took him off the Sanhedrin they kicked him out of the Pharisees sect they they took away his property third richest man in Jerusalem at the time they took away all his money and they exiled him out of the city of Jerusalem and years later for bearing witness to Christ in front of strangers he was beaten to death with clubs and the world would say that Nicodemus lost everything but in that moment he already knew he had gained everything. Because he came to Jesus at night in John chapter three, but for 2,000 years, ladies and gentlemen, he's been walking with Jesus in the light of his glory in heaven. You're gonna see Nicodemus in heaven. You're gonna see it, because here's what Nicodemus now knows. Here's what he now knows. He's in heaven, not because of his religion, but because he received and believed the Savior. And the most important question of your life is if you've done that too. So your religion and your accolades and your accomplishments and your good personism Before God, you're just a man or you're just a woman, and your only hope is to trust the Savior.